1: to play fantasy today's episode is brought to you by flex fantasy and they want me to relay a message to you that they have cracked open the game of fantasy football to all when you sign up for a free account and download the flex fantasy app you can import all your teams from all your leagues across multiple platforms that you play on Spice up your fantasy playing experience by challenging league mates or strangers off the street to a fantasy matchup no matter how or where they play, and put your money where your mouth is by placing a wager on your head-to-head matchup. It doesn't matter if you are on Yahoo and your opponent is on Sleeper. You can import your teams to Flex Fantasy to face off. You can even make wagers on who you think will win between other challenges besides your own. So sign up for a free account and download the app to try it out at Flex.Fan.
0: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader.
1: Of all things fantasy. Welcome into the show MD Nation. We're back with a Sunday Funday recap here on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thanks for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to catch all of our content as it becomes available to you. But also check us out on BellyUp.tv. If you missed an episode, that's okay. Just download the Foxy Network app on your LG, Samsung, Roku, or Amazon Fire TV devices and look for the Billy Up Sports TV category. Or just stay up to date with the show when you're on the go. And download us on your favorite podcast app as we're widely available to you. Please give us a five-star review as it greatly helps us out. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Before we get to today's show, which of course is the Sunday Funday Recap, which means we're going to recap the Thursday Night Football action and all the action from the Sunday afternoon games. The one thing I'd be remiss if I did not kick off the show with is, is this. I love football. I have dedicated a lot of my time to covering football, analyzing football, giving you guys the best fantasy football advice that I possibly can, because I absolutely love the game and I want to share with others, my enjoyment. But, I'd be kidding myself if I did not acknowledge the fact it's been bad football for six weeks now. Look, sometimes we get it where it's a month, not everybody practices or plays hard in the preseason. We get that. We understand that, especially in today's day and age. But it's been bad. And you thought after September, like, okay, things start to get better, normally speaking. Offensive lines... Start to get chemistry. They start to block a little bit better. Teams are starting to get used to hitting a little bit more. We see better physicality, better fundamentals. I watched this Sunday afternoon and felt like I was bored. Me, who loves football, gets on this microphone five times a week, Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern. And I felt like, what am I watching? Waiting for big plays to happen that never came amplifying smaller plays that were positive into big plays into my mind just to feel something that I could be excited about. I'd be remiss if I did not acknowledge that fact. This has not been good football. And whether it's, you know, we need to send a memo out to these coaches, to these teams, to these organizations about playing more preseason football or at least getting your trenches in order, getting these guys used to hitting. Because I'm tired of watching sloppy play. And we got another Sunday of it here. It also makes it tough for guys like me to predict, you know, do projections and stuff. Because when you get sloppy play, well, guys who should go off do nothing and guys who have no business being that productive wind up having the biggest games of the year. And that's why some of the star sick questions as a result from you guys as fantasy football fans are so out of whack, at least seemingly, from an analyst's perspective. But then at the end of the day, I can't really blame you because that is the type of season we've had so far. Usually after six weeks, it corrects itself. I did not feel like it corrected itself this Sunday. So I had to get that off my chest before we go ahead and dive into the football action here. But again, just to reiterate, Thursday Night Football, Sunday afternoon recap. And as we always do, we want to talk about our thumpers and bummers Of those matchups so far. So let's kick it off with our quarterback thumpers of the week. Quarterback thumpers. This is
0: Sparta!
1: All right. Our number three quarterback thumper of the week. What a rebound this was for this guy. Matt Ryan. 389 yards and three touchdowns. After a 12-9 performance that we all bashed against the Denver Broncos on a Thursday night game comes back and drops in Week 6 389 yards and three touchdowns against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nobody started Matt Ryan, so this is a thumper position that helps no one. At least it gives you some solace if you have a, a Michael Pittman, if you have some of these other guys, Alec Pierce, that may be like, okay, well, I'm not doomed fantasy-wise because Matt Ryan's so terrible. It'll depend on the matchup, but, and it was volume here. He had 58 pass attempts, but we had to give credit where credit is due. And while nobody played him, except for maybe a DFS tournament league, Matt Ryan came through with a big, big performance. Let's talk about our number two thumper though of the week in the quarterback position. And that was Josh Allen did not disappoint 329 yards, three touchdowns tax on 32 yards, rushing. What's amazing about that is he had a game against Kansas City where he only put up 24 points, the Buffalo Bills did, and yet he still had that big of a game. It just shows you how much Josh Allen is needed for this offense to do anything (laughs) and why he's tremendous. And then Joe Burrow. had a feeling about Joe Burrow. I I ranked him inside the top 10, but I wasn't overly high on him because, well, especially early in the week, we weren't sure if Higgins was going to play. Saints defense. We weren't sure who was going to play on that side of the ball, but you had a feeling that if Burrow could have a big game, he'd want to have it going home to Louisiana, to New Orleans, to the Superdome. And he showed up for sure. 300 yards, three passing touchdowns, even tacks on a rushing touchdown, too. That was great. (laughs) It was great to watch. Joe Burrow really comes through in a big way, and he'll be on his way and to top eight for the rest of the season, frankly, because quarterback play has been atrocious. Speaking of abysmal quarterback play. Quarterback bummers. Lord have mercy. Aaron Rodgers. We're going to get more into Green Bay a little bit later on because there's something broken within that team right now, and we'll talk about what I think it is. But for Aaron Rodgers... Look, he wasn't a guy who was drafted high. He was drafted double-digit rounds. I think most people understood that without Devontae Adams, the the upside just wasn't necessarily there. 246 yards and a touchdown against the New York Jets, though, in a game in which Rodgers was supposed to bounce back after a poor performance against the New York Giants, something he typically does, by the way, and still really could not find his groove at all. Rodgers is down in Russell Wilson territory where... They're no different than the other QB 11s through 16, 17, maybe even 18, where you're just streaming options who have different levels of upside depending upon the matchup and are not must-starts. And if you're in a one-quarterback league and a 12-man league and you're not a must-start, you're not a must-own. Now, I'm not saying we should definitely drop Aaron Rodgers. depends on your league. But the fact is we have to have that conversation. What about Matthew Stafford? This is a prime opportunity for the Rams' offense to get right. Steve Wilkes is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. They fired Matt Roll. All eyes on the Rams, the fiasco going on with Cam Akers behind the scenes. This team dying to look like anything resembling the Super Bowl champions of a year ago. And Matt Stafford needing a bounce-back game. I still didn't have him as somebody you should play. And I I specifically said, do not play Matthew Stafford if you have any other option to be able to pivot to as he came into my QB 15 on a bye week at that. But he still was not good. Still could not get going. 253 yards, one touchdown, one reception. Matthew Stafford should not be owned. And if you do have him,
0: prepare to be flushed.
1: Do yourself the favor and get rid of him. Our number one bummer, though, has to be Carson Wentz. Not only does he not score, he doesn't even throw. doesn't throw for 100 yards in this game. 99. 99 yards against the Chicago Bears. Look, I said before, I was like, look, Carson Wentz, with the weapons that he has, if it's a plus matchup, I think you can stream him, and he's going to wind up being a quarterback zero for me in tomorrow night's show when we have the Heroes and Zeros segment at 10 p.m. Eastern for the primetime recap and the waiver savior heading into week seven. Yeah, we're already at week seven. It's flying by. But for Carson Wentz, who, who did get hurt in this game, so now we have to watch out for that heading into next week too. Man, oh man, it was that brutal. Well, that was garbage. And it just makes it really just, it just shows you how hit or miss everybody is outside of the top elite tier of quarterbacks so far this season. Let's talk about something a little more cheery, though. Let's talk about the running back thumpers of the week. Running back thumpers. This is Sparta! Christian McCaffrey. So amongst trade rumors, which I got to be honest, I'd be very excited to see. I'll talk about that a little bit more later in the show. But for this week, McCaffrey doing his best Barkley impression. He, He didn't get in the end zone, but he was, if anything... That Carolina did offensively it was from Christian McCaffrey 69 yards on the ground tax on eight targets seven receptions 89 yards through the air he was the only offense Carolina had to offer in this game whatsoever he's the only way they can move the ball McCaffrey, look after the first couple of weeks people were like worried you know he's gonna catch the ball but now we've seen it you know a couple weeks of Baker Mayfield even with Philip Walker filling in they figured out that okay Christian McCaffrey still has at least get the Get the catches. He's still got to at least receive the ball. Okay, cool. So you're fine. Even if he stays in Carolina, you're fine with his floor. But the idea that he might get traded could, quite frankly, be a little bit tantalizing if he winds up in the right situation. Our number two running back thumper of the week is Ramondre Stevenson. 76 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. That does give you a little pocket change if you're in half point and full point PPR leagues by giving you four receptions for 15 yards on five targets. He did everything you want him to do in the absence of a Damian Harris. We don't know exactly how long Harris is going to be out for, but when the injury originally happened, the idea was it was going to be a multiple week injury. So I think we're going to get a couple more weeks, at least of Ramondre Stevenson being that lead bell cow back. And they did not rotate. They let him dominate. And that's what you wanted to see. And he paid up. He was the guy. You are so happy to have Ramondre Stevenson right now on your team my guy who is my sleeper, running back coming into the season, making me look good finally. Number one thumper, Deion frickin' Jackson. 42 yards on the ground, picks up a rushing touchdown. Here's the kicker. 10 targets, 10 receptions for 79 yards. If you picked up Deion Jackson in a pinch, because we got the news kind of late on Saturday night that Naeem Hines and Jonathan Taylor we're not going to play, which was surprising because Taylor practiced most of the week. It was trending towards the direction of Taylor was going to be out there and the team decided it wasn't worth it. Deion Jackson dominated the touches over Philip Lindsay. That's first and foremost. And then was able to be involved in both the rushing and receiving game as a result as well. So now we know moving forward that if Naim Hines and Jonathan Taylor were to miss, Deion, Deion Jackson's a guy that you can play. I don't know how many more weeks we're going to get of that. I do expect that both Hines and Taylor both could be back by next week, if not at least one of them. But at least now you have some idea of what to go with. And if you played Jackson, he was a pleasant, pleasant surprise for you this week. Running back bummers. The usage finally caught up with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Caught up with him last week, too, but it just it played out again this week. Now, this wasn't the best match against the Buffalo Bills. But he had to play Clyde Ziller if you had him as an RB, two at the very least. I mean, he's been involved in touchdown areas. He's been one of the more productive running backs, especially in a year in which it's been hard to get production out of running backs. Only nine carries for 33 yards. Didn't have a single target in this game. Not even on the box. He ran routes. So we'll get in that later. But not a single target in the box score. This is why we kept pleading with you to trade off Clyde's Lair while you had the opportunity to do so. Because now, well, now you're not going to get anything for him. You're not going to get the price tag you'd want. You can't sell high. And selling low, I don't even know what that would look like as of this moment. A bunch of guys who are sitting in the 33 to 42 area as far as running backs are concerned. It's not worth it. So now you're stuck with CEH and you just kind of have to hope that he finds the end zone. And again, I go back to this. Well, previous to the first four weeks of this season, that's something that's not been in his repertoire throughout history. Our number one bummer of the week was Kareem Hunt. So we'll talk about this later, but Nick Chubb, he got held in check too. Kareem Hunt, he, he played his normal amount of snaps, but they didn't get him involved in the passing game, especially for a team that was down quite a bit, it was very shocking. And then he only got four carries for 12 yards. My running argument for Kareem Hunt and why I have consistently as a guy that i rather play as an RB2, at the very least as a high-end RB3 in a flex play, is because, well, he's supposed to catch the ball. <laughs> that, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to catch the ball and get involved. When Nick Chubb doesn't have a good game, that's because Kareem Hunt has a decent game. And he gets you, on average, 12 to 15 touches, which is really all you're looking for, especially on an RB2. When you only get four touches, it can get really, really ugly really, really fast. This is not something I expect to continue. And again, we'll talk about why later. But yeah, if you played Kareem Hunt thinking this was a decent match because the Patriots and you're just looking for a solid floor RB2 or flex play, it did not pan out for you.
0: Wide receiver thumpers. This is Sparta!
1: Our number three, and he was really the number two receiver as far as the Thursday night and Sunday afternoon games go with scoring. But I made my number three, and I'll get into why later. But still, nonetheless, big-time thumper. Stephon Diggs, 13 targets, 10 catches, 148 yards, and a touchdown. He is the Cooper Cup of the Buffalo Bills offense. Josh Allen trusts him in any given situation, and he gets his work before everybody else does. Everybody else can eat, but not before Stephon Diggs gets to eat. And he has been lighting it up all season long. He was my number three receiver coming into the year. I had him only behind Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. For this reason. Because of what I expected out of the Buffalo Bills offense. And it doesn't sound like a bold take, but considering he was a guy that was consistently in ECR behind Jamar Chase, behind Devontae Adams. I feel pretty good about my call here. And Diggs has been just uber great, uber consistent. What about Tyreek Hill? This is why Tyreek is my number two thumper. Didn't have as big of a day because he didn't get the touchdown that Stephon Diggs got. But 15 targets, 12 receptions for 177 yards. In a game in which he had to deal with Skylar Thompson, who then got hurt to then bring back Teddy Bridgewater. So he's dealing with multiple backup quarterbacks and is still performing at an incredible rate. That's why I wanted to give him a little bit more credit as the number two thumper of the week. And if you have Tyreek Hill, you're like, yeah, it really doesn't matter who they throw back at their quarterback. You're just awesome. And the number one thumper of the week, and this is a big sigh relief for a lot of people out there, Jamar Chase, 10 targets, 7 receptions, 132 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Yes, C. Higgins is banged up. He's not 100% himself. Jamar Chase is a really great receiver. It was only a matter of time before he was able to get back on track, which is why I was pushing you guys. Like, if you can buy loan him, I don't know if he can. It's like, but if you can, because people are frustrated by his performance, and maybe those are the same people who have, you know, a sub five hundred record. You test out the waters to see if what you can pull off. Well, that ship sailed, and Jamar Chase is here to reestablish himself as an elite receiver with a huge performance. And you're happy to see him get back on track. Even when Higgins is healthy, I still think Jamar Chase will be okay. And they've made a point the last couple of weeks to say, we need to get the ball in his hands. So if they're going to double and triple club for him down the field, and the big play is not necessarily going to be there, well, then we'll run more bubble screens. We'll get him in situations where he can make runs after the catch. There's a focus here. And that's why Jamar Chase is not going anywhere. Wide receiver bummers. Yeah, so Tyler Lockett, who's been uh, very consistent over the past few weeks, we did have a little bit of a scare on Thursday when he got listed with a hamstring injury, but then he practiced in full on Friday, and he was active. He was never in question for this game, so we throw it out the water. I'm I'm not chalking this up to maybe Tyler Lockett was not 100% himself. Because when we get to this game later, we'll see that the passing attack in general for Seattle didn't do a whole hell of a lot. But you expect him more of the guy who's been really consistent over three weeks. We know Tyler Lock can give you dud games, but this is a brutal one against Arizona. Five targets, two receptions, 17 yards. You'll have better games than this. The Seattle Seahawks have proven that to this point, but it was a tough matchup here if you got that kind of performance out of him. Devin Duvernay is my number two bummer. So this is I'm not changing my stance here. When Rashad Bateman's out, I still believe Devin Duvernay is a very nice high upside wide receiver three play because he does become the number one receiver. He becomes the number one shot, if nothing else, for the big play. It's just, you know, if the Ravens' offense is not going to open up that big play, well, eh, there's not much you can do. And that's what happened here in this game. He only had five targets, walks away with one reception for 14 yards. But the entire Ravens' offense, with the exception of Kenyon Drake, was pretty disappointing. We'll talk more about that later, too. But I'm not changing my stance on what Devin DuVernay is. He's viable if Rashad Bateman is out. But this is what you're getting. You know he's a boomer bust play. And that's why I keep harping on that point. He's a wide receiver three who could dudge you or stud you. Our number one bummer, though, this is more concerning. Not just because of the performance you got from this week, but for moving forward. So Curtis Samuel has seemingly come back down to earth over the past few weeks. Five targets, two receptions, six yards. In a game against Chicago, yes, Carson Wentz, we pointed out earlier, our number one quarterback bummer was horrible. But against the Bears, a game in which they were trailing for some of it, and it was just very low scoring. Wentz is banged up. You think that he want to get the ball out of his hands a little bit more quickly. And Curtis Samuels only got five targets. This is a guy that we've been ranking and playing as a wide receiver, too, for the most part this season due to his role within this offense and how volume-based it was. And now we're going to have to question, can you really play him? We have to question if we can really play anybody on this commander's team with any kind of confidence whatsoever. The answer might be no. So here's a big-time bummer, which could have implications moving forward. Tight end thumpers. This is Sparta! Our number three and our number two tight end thumpers are no different than they are any given week other than they're number two and number three and not number one and number two. Travis Kelsey, 10 targets, 8 receptions, 108 yards. It was a tough matchup on paper against the Buffalo Bills, so I was kind of curious to see, would they be able to take him away? The answer is no. Nobody can really, truly take Travis Kelsey away. You can limit him in yards, sure, but you can't take away him from him in the red zone. You take away him from the red zone, you can't take away from him in between the 20s. doesn't get in the end zone this week like he did last week four times. Still get you over 100 yards with a great performance. Just can't be stopped. The same can be said for Mark Andrews. Ravens have a terrible offensive day, and yet Mark Andrews still has 11 targets, 7 receptions, 106 yards, and a touchdown. These are the two biggest positional advantages you can possibly have anywhere in your fantasy football lineups right now. But the number one thumper, Mike Gesicki. I had moved him up in my ranks a little bit on Sunday morning when we got word that Derm Smith was going to be out for the week. And I was like, okay, if he's going to be out, then they have no choice but to play Mike Isicki in situations where they have Derm Smith out there, which is basically to block, but him getting out in the field more does open up the door for more opportunities. And seven targets, six catches, 69 yards, and two touchdowns. No, before you even ask me the question, I am not going to go back and pick up Mike Isecki and star him next week. He probably will not be a top 14 tight end for me. If Durham Smythe going to miss again, then we'll revisit the conversation later on in the week, but he's not going to be a guy I'm going after my waiver wire. I don't want to spend fab. I don't want to spend a priority on him. But it is interesting to note that if he has to play and he has the opportunity to do so, This was a game in which Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. Maybe that opens up doors. In that circumstance, maybe that's the one time that if you're looking for streaming tight ends, you're like, okay, in this situation, you can be in the conversation. That's what we keep in mind moving forward.
0: Tight end bummers.
1: I only had two tight end bummers this week. Uh, I couldn't really put three in. There wasn't many tight ends that, People in general in 12 man leagues were definitively playing. But two guys here that I think a lot of people were trying to play. So Hayden Hurst, my number two bummer of the week, three catches, three receptions, twenty-one yards. He was out there. He ran the same amount of routes. But it just goes to show you that okay, if T. Higgins is going to be active and actually utilizing the game, and those, as we saw last week, can be two very different things. He just has a he does have a low floor that comes with his risk. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. I think he's somebody who consistently stays inside my top 18 tight ends, but he does have some risks from that standpoint. The other guy, though, is Taysom Hill. 39 yards rushing. That's it. This is what we talked about with Taysom Hill last week. I understood want to play him for upside. And I did say, I was like, look, as long as Andy Dalton's a starting quarterback, there's reason to play him for upside because they don't have a problem when Dalton's starting to pull him out and run Taysom Hill packages randomly here and there, but especially in the red zone. But I also warned you guys that, look, if you're playing Taysom Hill, you also have the possibility of completely dudding out because he's not a regular tight end. He doesn't get out there and run routes. You're hoping he scores and gets in position to be available in money situations. And if that doesn't happen, well, he doesn't have a floor. So that's what you're riding with. But because he's a tight end, I understand why you're a little bit more... Willing to take the chance because unless you have an upper echelon top eight guy, well, the tight ends you're playing probably don't have much of a floor anyway, and definitely don't have the same ceiling. But this was the issue. Taysom Hill, our number one thumper last week, but then our number one bummer in week six. And this is just a good barometer of what he is. So just take that in consideration moving forward. That does it though for our thumpers and bummers for this episode. So, what I want to do now is take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, I want to talk about our game notes of the week. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back right after this. Football is back, baby. And our new sponsor, True Classic, wants you to look and feel your best even after a couple of brewskis or going full force on your fantasy football draft sure it's football season but it's also butt to couch season luckily true classic has the absolute best fitting clothing a man can buy snug in the arms and chest with a little extra space in the torso their t-shirts are designed to keep you cozy and highlight your best assets no matter what you're up to so if your special someone is upset that you're watching football all day at least you can look good doing it True Classic has already helped over 2 million men find the perfect fit at an affordable price. Our listeners get access to the best deal they offer. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at TrueClassic.com. Almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six packs, but most of us aren't packing anything but a few beers. Fellas, you are wearing the wrong clothes. True classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt you can always confidently throw on. It's about time to get your fit together, so upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic and get 25% off at trueclassic.com with promo code BELLYUPFANTASY, free shipping included on purchases over $100. That's 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. If there's one bet you should make this football season, it's on True Classic. True Classic, look good, feel good.
0: This the M.D.'s Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy.
1: Welcome back in to the M.D.'s Fantasy Football Show. Thanks for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already so you can catch all of our content as becomes available. You can also check us out live on BillyUp.TV. If you missed an episode, that's okay. Just download us on the Foxy Network app on your LG, Samsung, Roku, or Amazon Fire TV devices and look for the Belly Up Sports TV category. Or just download us on your favorite podcast app and stay up to date on the go. And give us a five-star review to help us out. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. We're back with the Sunday Fun Day Recap, baby. Talk about the Thursday night football and the Sunday afternoon action. We just went through all of our thumpers and bummers of the week, and now it's time for our notes of the game. I know, I know, I know. What do we know? What do we know coming out of this action? What we do know is that there's seemingly a curse on Thursday night football. That's, that's what we do know. That was brutal. Denver Colts, 12-9, only to be followed up by Chicago and Washington, 12-7. Arizona Cardinals and the New Orleans Saints are the Thursday night game this upcoming week. Two more quality opponents. Hopefully, that game will be better. But honestly, when you watch Arizona and you watch the Saints offensively, I am a little bit worried it might turn out to be the same situation. <laughs> that might not be outside the realm of possibility, but fingers crossed it's not that bad. There are some notes of those commanders and of those Bears that we do have to take out of that game and potentially take with us moving forward too. So Brian Robinson comes in and leads the way. He has his first action in week five, short week of Thursday, and they just fed him the ball. He got 17 carries and he actually gets in the end zone. So he has six yards and a touchdown. He doesn't give you anything on in, in the passing game. We do that pretty much moving forward. That, that wasn't going to happen. Antonio Gibson still gets a little bit of a mixture of both. And McKissick though, so this is what's interesting to me. If Gibson's going to get a mixture of both and Brian is going to lead the way on the ground, it almost seemed like McKissick was splitting with Antonio Gibson through the air, which means all those weeks of McKissick being an emergency PPR flex play could go out the window. And while Robinson led the way, the coaching staff, Ron Rivera in particular, the next day came out and said, well, we want to give Gibson a little bit more involved than he was on Thursday. I don't know why he was that left out. And look, we can say a lot of things about Ron Rivera, and I think he's going to be one of the next head coaches to get fired, most likely, at some point this season. But he does what he says he does, which means, you know, in this case, we'll probably likely see Antonio Gibson at least be more involved next week. Now, does that come at the detriment of Brian Robinson, or does it come at the detriment of J.D. McKissick? That's going to be the question moving forward. But after watching this game and how excited they've been about Brian Robinson, I expect him to be the lead ball carrier for this week or for the season, I should say, moving forward. The question's going to be, okay, what's his value, though, really? Because if he doesn't find the end zone, he has an incredibly low floor, especially when you're talking about half-point and full-point PPR leagues because he's not going to give you anything in the passing game on a consistent basis, if at all. So my advice would be to sell high on Brian Robinson. Hey, he's a lead back on a professional NFL team who can score touchdowns. That's my selling point. That's what I'm trying to do this week. And really, frankly, the best advice I can give you is the less shares you have of the Washington Commanders moving forward, the better off you'll probably be. Other notes I have, Carson Wentz, of course, he gets injured, so we're going to have to see exactly what that means moving forward. But there's a real chance that maybe as soon as week seven, we're seeing Tyler Heineke, or Taylor Heineke, excuse me. Now, I am not one of these people, and I've been hearing this around, and it's kind of annoying to me, that somehow Taylor Heineke should be starting over Carson. Taylor Heineke was horrible. Like, do we forget this? I feel like people when they think about Heineke, they only think about the playoff game from two years ago. Like, oh yeah, he played he played well. He played good in that game. He was a spot starter. Blah, 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 blah. He was horrible last season. Carson Wentz has his ups and downs. There's no doubt about that. But he's much better than a Taylor Heineke. It's not close. So let's show a little respect here when it comes to that. And stop blowing this up like somehow Taylor Heineke is the key to unlock this offense, because he's not. However, the wide receivers, whether it's Carson Wentz or anybody else, can't be trusted. It's just a bad team. Scott Turner, who doesn't seemingly get enough of the blame, is a horrible play caller and has been his entire career. Why this guy continues to get jobs? I guess as long as Ron Rivera gets a job, he has a job. He's not productive, period. He's just not. And unfortunately, guys like Terry McLaurin, and now, like I pointed out, Curtis Samuel being one of our bummers of the week, even when Jahan Dotson gets back, he was very touchdown dependent to have any fantasy value in his own right. You can't trust these receivers. It's very matchup dependent, and Carson Wentz has to be 100% healthy to even think about really wanting to play them. And McLaurin and Curtis Samuel in particular will be coming down to my ranks, whether Wentz is healthy or not, moving forward. Let's flip over to the Chicago side of the ball, where I don't have a whole lot else to, to, to give you upside-wise there either, but here's what I will point out. Justin Fields had his most pass attempts of the year, which was 27. Only completed 14 of those, by the way, but that's neither here nor there with the point that I'm trying to make. 27 pass attempts, his most of the year, which is a really low number for pretty much everybody else, but I digress in the situation. In a game in which he has 27 pass attempts, Darnell Mooney got 12 targets. Darnell Mooney shows some signs of life. So much so that he'll likely, if he's still less than 50% owned, and I'll have to check before we get into tomorrow night's episode in the primetime recap and waiver saviors for week seven, that I think he's worth a stash. Because they start to just be like, you know what? They throw their hands up and say, okay, we're, we're going to throw it a little bit more then Mooney is somebody that we can come back to because any receiver getting 12 targets has to be in the conversation of, you know, at least wide receiver three flex play. He finishes that up with seven catches for 68 yards, nothing special. But all it took was Justin Fields throwing the ball 27 times for him to give volume. And that's more the point here that I'm trying to make. Now it's the first time this year, so I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen moving forward, but It should. <laughs> it should. Quarterback should be throwing the ball at least 27 times no matter who they are, what scheme they play in. So something to kind of keep your eye on moving forward. Fields also ran. So Fields had 12 attempts for 88 yards in this game. Again, while the Bears only scored 7 points, like it's a really bad defense in the Commanders, by the way. That's why I don't have any confidence when it comes to Mooney or Fields or anything, you know, moving forward necessarily. But usage-wise, volume-wise... It's something to talk about where it's like, okay, if you're going to run that much, and we're just going to do that, then you'll be back in the conversation as a fantasy-relevant player. So just, it's something to keep in mind. I don't want to play him next week, necessarily. Again, this is a bad commander's team, and I don't know how much of this was an aberration or what we're going to see moving forward. But just keep that in mind. My other note, is though, is that while he threw the ball 27 times and Darno Mooney got up to 12 targets... Cole Komet continued to not be a thing. So he's just, I don't, he's not going to be a thing this year. This is not going to happen. And David Montgomery still dominated touches. Although Cleo Herbert had the 64 yard run. So his box score looks pretty good, but I will say this outside that 64 yard run, he had six carriers for 11 yards. Wasn't really a great day for anybody involved basically for this Thursday night matchup. So let's move on. Let's move on to something that was a little bit more exciting. So the Minnesota Vikings, the Miami Dolphins, the Vikings were able to win this game 24-16. to Justin Jefferson was able to get over 100 yards, yet again, six receptions. Doesn't score, though. But on the Minnesota side, the, the big thing I'm seeing, there's no urgency on offense. So Sean McVay, he, he's not showing any urgency this year with the Rams either. But in years past, especially in the Super Bowl, especially early on in the season year, 2021, the offense showed urgency. They would go up-tempo. They would get creative. And I thought Kevin O'Connell would bring elements of that, especially in his first year as a head coach, and want to really, really be able to amplify that. But that hasn't been the case. And it's hard to argue because, well, the Vikings are 5-1. So they're winning games without showing the urgency that I was hoping they would show to make you know guys like Kirk Cousins top 12 quarterbacks on a week-in, week-out basis. Instead, it's like you're begging for a ceiling. You can only get the floor as he gets 175 yards and two touchdowns. Because outside of Justin Jefferson, nobody else gets to eat, really. I mean, Adam Thielen, at the end of the day, yes, he had a box score of eight targets, which was the same amount that Justin Jefferson had. before four catches, 36 yards, and a touchdown. The touchdown saves his day if he did play him as a top 36 option, which is where I had him ranked. But he doesn't get the same time kind of targets that Justin Jefferson gets. And more times than not, he's going to get left out because well, Jefferson's the new cup, and well, we see what the Rams do. They they kind of leave other people out sometimes. <laughs> it's just part of the gig, unfortunately. So there's no urgency. There's just no. I don't see the same kind of creativity. I don't see the up tempo. And really, that's not that's not a reflection on just the Minnesota Vikings. That's a reflection on a lot of the offenses in the NFL right now. A big reason why we're not seeing scoring. Because teams just don't have any tempo. They have no pace. Dalvin Cook was able to break one in this game. 13 carries, 77 yards. Picks up the touchdown. Still not a thing in the passing game, which is disappointing. But here's what's not disappointing. And why I said last week I was not concerned at all. He dominated the touches, dominated the snaps over Alexander Madison. Madison, who had like a third of the snaps last week. People were starting to get a little bit concerned because it's become a committee. Dalvin Cook definitely reestablished himself from that standpoint, so that's the good news if you have Dalvin Cook. On the Miami side of the ball, I kind of talked about a little bit earlier, Skylar Thompson starts this game, gets injured, Teddy Bridgewater comes in, surprisingly enough, had a decent performance, 329 yards, two touchdowns, did have the two picks to go along with it, but he came in and he fed the wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, one of our big thumpers of the week, but Let's not forget about Jalen Waddle. He had 10 targets, 6 receptions, 129 yards. Yeah, I know in the game he had the bad fumble, but when it comes to guys like Waddle and wide receivers, that typically is not something that follows them around too often. The point is this. like, It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It could be it could be Teddy Bridgewater. It could be Skylar Thompson. And looks like next week they might have Tua Tagovailoa finally back, which would be great for everybody involved. But Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are so hyper-targeted within this offense so featured within this Mike McDaniel offense, you don't really care who the quarterback is. That affects Waddle more than it affects Tyreek Hill. But because he has the big play ability as well, a simple slant can be a, an 80-yard touchdown. So you're playing these guys no matter what, no matter who the quarterback is, and dare I say, you can feel pretty confident about it. We talked about Mike Gusecki already in the first half of the show with the tight end thumpers and why it was interesting to see him go off and and what we can kind of take out of that. If Durham Smythe is out, they will play Mike Isecki even on run-blocking situations, which they typically don't otherwise. And that lends to him getting more playing time. That lends to him getting more opportunities, which is why we saw him have the big game today. It likely didn't help out anybody because nobody was trying to play Mike Isecki. But the other note that I have is a Marine Mostert. So second week in a row, he does lead the backfield, especially in touches. Now, there wasn't as much of a discrepancy in the snap count as there was in the touch count, in the box score, but he still is definitely the lead back in front of Chase Edmonds, and therefore, it's a guy you continue to want to play. Didn't have the big fantasy day. I get that part. 49 yards on the ground on 14 carries and negative one yards on a reception for two targets. But you still continue to play him. The good news is if you didn't drop Chase Edmonds, which I still think if you don't have Raheem Mostert, you can, but he did establish himself, reestablish himself, I should say, as a second running back. So if something happens to Moser, I do believe Chase Emmons would be the starting guy and get that volume. Miles Gaskin was inactive today. And Emmons did play 31 snaps compared to Raheem Mostert's 49. So he was back out there. He played more passing downs, ran more routes. More of the usage that we would typically expect to see. What about the Baltimore Ravens and the New York Frickin' Giants. The New York Giants pulling off yet another upset to be five and one. I don't believe the New York Giants have been favored in any game so far this season, and yet they are five and one. They're probably the only five and one team to continue being underdogs the
0: rest of the way too at that.
1: I don't know when reality is going to set in. It probably will set in at some point. But in the meantime, there's not much different to take out of the Giants. Saquon Barkley's the man. He makes it all happen 83 yards on the ground, picks up a touchdown. He was actually late usage in the passing game this week with three targets and three catches for 12 yards. But he's just the man. And as long as he stays healthy, he'll be competing for that number one overall RB1 spot. The one note I do have for the Giants is keep your eye on Wandale Robinson. So he gets the touchdown here. Four targets. It was only one target behind the lead guy, which was actually Daniel Bellinger. But he only played 15 snaps. It was his first game back. First game debut, period, in the NFL. And we saw him on a limited snap count. Something you would expect to see. They're so desperate at wide receiver. He played the fourth most snaps, and yet he was the most productive wide receiver of them all. So Wandale Robinson, if he didn't do so already, and he'll be on my waiver saviors segment, I can already tell you that without even looking at the numbers, because I know he still lets 50% owner out there right now. He's the only giant receiver who has some potential to give you some kind of fantasy value back at some point, maybe as soon as next week. Because his snap count will continue to go up as long as he's able to stay healthy. And now you see... They want him to be the favorite wide receiver moving forward. There's no doubt about that. On the Baltimore Ravens side of the ball, yeah, Lamar Jackson was disappointing again. Second week in a row. It's a beauty about Lamar Jackson, though. He gives you 77 yards on the ground. He just he just establishes that floor. It's like, look, whatever. I can, have a, I can have a terrible game. I'm still not going to be the reason you lose. That's the big thing about Lamar Jackson. He's not going to be the reason you lose because he'll always give you that floor on the ground. Things will get better for the Ravens, especially when they get Rashad Bateman back. Now, we don't know exactly when it's going to be because they've still have been kind of mysterious with the whole, what is the actual foot injury? What is his actual timeline? All we know is he didn't put him on IR. So, assumingly, you know, a week seven return should be in the cards. But things will get better for Lamar Jackson. For J.K. Dobbins, though, we got to watch this. So, his knee tightens up barely plays at all in the second half as a result. And that's why we saw Kenyon Drake come in. And Kenyon Drake, looking like he drank from the Fountain of Youth for this one week at least, getting 10 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. Before you start adding him to your waiver wires, keep in mind Augusta Bus will be back sooner rather than later. So if anything, the J.K. Dobbins news, to me, is more of an indication that you need to be going after Gus Edwards if he's still available, because when he's back, he very well will be the lead back. We've already seen Kenyon Drake. Like, yes, he had a good performance here, but we've seen him have this opportunity earlier in the season and produce absolutely nothing. Basically, my advice is this: avoid the Ravens' backfield unless Dobbins or Gus Bus is healthy. Otherwise, forget it because you have no idea what kind of production you're going to get. And of course, Mark Andrews—he's a rock star. And not just a rock star, but a rock star even when Lamar struggles. Two weeks in a row, Lamar struggled, and Mark Andrews still comes out and produces at a high rate. That is just a beauty. It's just a beauty of Mark Andrews. So let's move on to our next matchup, because there's not really not much else to take out of this game. The New York Jets and the Green Bay Packers. So New York Jets are 4-2. New York, the Giants are 5-1, the Jets are 4-2. You could not have given me I don't care what odds you would have given me. There's no way you could have had me bet on the Jets and the Giants being two of the better teams record-wise for the first six weeks in the NFL. No chance. It's absolutely incredible. I'll tell you what else is incredible. Zach Wilson throwing the ball for 18 times against the Green Bay Packers and the Jets still dominating this game. That, that was also incredible. Now that's mostly because Brees Hall, he's an RB1 moving forward, man. 20 carries. 116 yards, gets a rushing touchdown. Wasn't even as involved in the passing game as we typically see him be. Two targets, two catches, five yards. Didn't have to be. Again, Zach Wilson only threw the ball 18 times, so nobody was really that involved in the passing game. He's just here to stay. And Michael Carter is the backup. So Brees Hall, oddly enough, while the Jets are performing well, is the only player that I have any confidence playing in fantasy right now. Because as we get into my next note about the Jets, the wide receivers, game script dependent strictly. I don't want to drop Garrett Wilson. He's got great, tremendous upside. Corey Davis is playing the most out of all the wide receivers, period. And Braxton Berrios gets this little gadgety looks. But the guy in 12, 10 men men leagues or less that you can drop, unfortunately.
0: Prepare to be flushed.
1: I can't believe I'm saying this, but Elijah Moore, he's the prepared to be flush guy. He's the dumb player. He played the second most snaps out of all the wide receivers for the Jets, but zero targets. And this has been trending in that direction where he's like, he's the third guy in targets and looks. He's out there. That's it. I know he's out there because of the snap count. I don't know he's out there because of box score production, which is ultimately what you need in fantasy football. <laughs> You can't trust any of the Jets wide receivers. Though. You can't play any of them right now. Look, This team runs through Brees Hall with Zach Wilson as a starting quarterback. If they get into a game script where they have to throw more, okay. But knowing that game script right now is a little bit harder to determine too because they go against teams like the Packers in Green Bay on the road and they're still able to turn it into a run first play defense game. So now the game script itself becomes harder to predict heading into the matchup, which means you can't play the Jets receivers until we start to see a pattern again. And right now that pattern's non-existent. So hold Garrett Wilson. Corey Davis is a speculative ad, but ultimately I don't actually want to start any Jets receiver, and you don't have to own Elijah Moore in redraft leagues that are with 12 or less people in it. What about on the Packers side of the ball? So this 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 we had to get into. The Packers right now, especially over the last two weeks, have no identity. I don't know what happened. They started off the season. With an identity. Look, we all knew it. They don't have a ton of weapons. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, the running game has to be their identity. And because you have Aaron Rodgers, you can work off the running game and make enough plays with your defense to win games. And so win them pretty well. You're still a pretty good team. But all of a sudden against the Giants last week, and then this week again against the Jets, we saw them try to turn things over to Aaron Rodgers like this has been the last two seasons. It's not. The offense does not work as efficiently Right now, because of the wide receivers and lack of talent there is, with Aaron Rodgers being the lead of the offense. Because the passing game can't be there. It has to go through the running game first. And when you look at this box score and you see A.J. Dillon have 10 carries, you see Aaron Jones have 9. Especially Aaron Jones. You're trailing the majority of this game. Aaron Jones is one of your biggest playmakers, period. I love A.J. Dillon, but he's he's the guy that grinds you down as the game wears on if you have a lead. He's not the guy to hit the big play and get your offense back on track. That's Aaron Jones. So for him to have nine carries in this game, that, that's atrocious. That's on Matt LaFleur. That, that's, that should not happen. I'm not worried about Aaron Jones moving forward, by the way. And A.J. Dillon's increasingly becoming somebody that you have to roster, but really don't want to play unless you absolutely have to. He hasn't had really a good fantasy performance yet this season. Aaron Jones still hit that big play. So that's why you keep playing Aaron Jones with with confidence. And I'll still have him as a high-end RB2 and some matchups even a low-end RB1. The usage has to get better. They have to recognize that. I think they will sooner rather than later. But for right now, they are in a mess. And the last two weeks, they've had no identity, which is the biggest problem that they've had. Alan Lazard, at least, was good in this game. He gets a touchdown, 76 yards. Dobbs had just as much targets. I'm not coming off of Dobbs, especially now that we have the Randall Cobb injury with an ankle. He had to be carded off. Good chance he's probably going to wind up missing some time. We still don't know exactly when Christian Watson is going to be able to make his return off of his hamstring injury. So we're likely back down to Lazard and Romeo Dobbs. I'm still going to play Dobbs as a wide receiver three. I don't care. They had four catches, 29 yards. He still played snap for snap with Alan Lazard and still had the same amount of targets. We know those games will come. So no concerns for me here on this part. And I'm also not reading into Robert Tunyon. I know he had 12 targets, 10 catches, 90 yards. he gets a little bit excited when a tight end actually shows some life. Keep in mind, Aaron Rodgers threw the ball 41 times. And as I've reiterated, if the Packers find an identity, it's going to be because they went back to the running game. Let's move on to the San Francisco 49ers and the Atlanta Falcons. So the Falcons pulling off a big upset here, 28-14. to This game, for me, we'll start with the 49ers' side of the ball. They disappointed across the board, but the other thing was this. The injuries finally caught up to them. This is a team that has a ton of injuries so far this season, and yet they've still been playing relatively well. But then they tacked on a couple more. Their top corner, Javius Ward, he got hurt with a groin issue, and then Mike McGlinchey had to get knocked out of this game early. He got hurt. So now you're, you know, you don't have Trent Williams. Now you're down Mike McGlincheon on the other side. Your offensive lines are wrecked. Your defense doesn't have guys like Nick Bosa or Eric Armstead or Javius Ward or Jason Ferret or Jimmy Ward. Like The list goes on and on and on and on. The injuries caught up with San Francisco here. But here's the thing that I want to add. The offense is disappointing. It's on Kyle Shanahan. This is an offense that, outside the Carolina game, has really struggled to even get 20 points up on the board with any kind of consistency. If they don't have the running game working for them, that they can then build their play action off of, this becomes an incredibly limited offense. that's still all about the short passing game and runs after the catch. And that's not as open if the running game itself is not working. It's not as open. Debo Samuel, yet again, two carries this game. 10 targets, 7 catches, 79 yards. Still giving you floor fantasy plays, but not giving you the ceiling. They got to figure out the way to get the offense back on track. And We talked about the Minnesota Vikings earlier, not showing urgency. This is another team. I'm watching in the fourth quarter. They're down two touchdowns. They have a drive. It starts on the the one-yard line. So, okay, okay. I get it first. It's more about, okay, let's not do anything that puts us in an even worse situation. Okay, cool. But then they got a couple good plays. And yet, instead of playing hurry up or showing any urgency whatsoever because it's the fourth quarter and you're down by two touchdowns, they were still huddling every play. They were still methodical. They were so lethargic. I don't know what it is. Again, it's a reflection on the entire NFL, not just one team in particular. But it's killing watching football, and it's also killing fantasy football too. Ayuk goes off, and Kittle gets involved. So that's the silver lining here with San Francisco. Look, as far as you going off, though, eight catches, 83 yards, two touchdowns on 11 targets. It's not something that we can come to expect, obviously. I mean, and I'm, and I'm not just talking about the big performance here with the two touchdowns. I'm just talking about the 11 targets and his overall, like, hugely significant involvement within the offense. We saw games like last week where he has three catches, 39 yards, and that had actually been more of his trend up until this point than this kind of game had been. I don't think you can trust anything on the 49ers offense other than Debo Samuel and the running game. Even George Kittle's hit or miss, but because he's so good and the Titans are so putrid, you play him every single week and you just, you deal with whatever it is that you get. And you're glad that this week, at least, he eight catches 83 yards, you got back on track. But Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball 41 times is not what the San Francisco 49ers typically want to do. That's not going to be a norm for them, especially when their defense gets back and healthy. So, There's only so much you can take out of this game other than Jeff Wilson was disappointing. not worried about Jeff Wilson. Kieran Davis-Price came back. He played one snap. Kevin Coleman came back down to earth with his four carries for three yards. He wasn't effective either. As long as Elijah Mitchell is out, Jeff Wilson will be in my starting lineup, but I'm not coming off of that. On the Atlanta side of the ball, the headline, of course, is Kyle Pitts finally got into the end zone on U.S. soil. And for the first time this year... (laughs) So if you played Kyle Pitts because you had no choice to, you were happy you got the touchdown. But there's a caveat, and I want to point this out. Three catches, 19 yards. Sound like a familiar stat line, because that's what he had the first two weeks of the season when everybody was driving themselves crazy. The touchdown, of course, covers that up, but I don't want to lose sight on the fact that he still had three targets, three catches for 19 yards, which easily could have led to him not scoring a touchdown. So for me the needle on Kyle Pitts is not necessarily moving up after this game. It's not. It's not like the involvement has you all thrilled. And this game could have been further from the predicted game script as it would turn out to be. Mary threw the ball 14 times. The Falcons were leading this game from halftime on. Against the 49ers team. That's not something you'd expect in this situation. Not at all. So, my advice, honestly, is to sell high on Kyle Pitts. What does that look like? I'd sell him straight up for a Dallas Goddard, for Zach Ertz, for even maybe even a TJ Hawkinson. I don't think there's much of an upside to this Atlanta offense. Sorry, I don't. And that brings me to Drake London, which is my next point here. London mediocre. Again, this is a few weeks in a row now. If he can't get you eight to 10 targets and just the head-and-shoulders-leading pass catcher, unfortunately left with more floors than not. Now, he'll never be lower than a wide receiver three for me. He's never going to be outside my top 36, but the days of him being a bona fide top 24 wide receiver two, well, those might be a little bit more match dependent moving forward. Because now we're seeing guys like Zacchaeus get more involved on a weekly basis, and that's just leading to limiting the upside. So London's still likely going to be my lineup one way or another, but I don't have as high of expectations after what we've seen the past couple of weeks. And then the other category I just have a quick note on is Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algiers split. And it's worth noting because they led this game, they got to play their their game script. And Caleb Huntley had 16 carries to Tyler Algiers, 15, both less than four yards carry. Neither one was efficient. Both these guys are probably going to disappear once Damian Williams and Cordell Patterson are back and healthy. That's the important note they have here. And even while they're here, dominating the way, they just don't have much upside. This game could not have gone more their way. And yes, it's a tough match against San Francisco. I get it. But in a game that could not have gone more their way, they still split. So there's not a lead here for one over the other. There's not a lead on a limited offense to begin with. I don't know how much you want to play either one of these guys moving forward. Let's talk about Tampa Bay and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bucs can't get right. That's my that's my big notes. The offense completely disappoints. You watch the you watch everybody. I mean, you watched the Buffalo Bills last week completely just dismantle this Pittsburgh Steelers team. And they're even just as, if not more, banged up heading into this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, even guys like Mika Fitzpatrick weren't out there on the field. Tampa Bay, or where, where Tom Brady's throwing the ball fifty two times the two weeks previous to this one, looking like they're trying to get an opportunity to get back on track as an offense, just in general, just to establish themselves as an elite offense again in this league. He threw the ball 40 times, that's that's more than enough volume, but 243 yards and a touchdown. The Achilles' heel is Tampa Bay's offensive line. Everyone saw Brady going off in that offensive line. I'm sure there'll be plenty of memes about it throughout the week. But the point is this, without TJ Watt, the Pittsburgh Steelers were able to get a pass rush on you with pretty much nobody left. And enough so to disrupt this offense of Tampa Bay that only scored 18 points against one of the worst defenses in the NFL right now. It's super concerning because now you you can't feel comfortable against anybody you play against. I still believe that you can play Tom Brady as a top 10 quarterback more weeks than not and the volumes there. I'll take 52, 52, and 40 as his last three weeks' as pass attempts with those weapons. I'll take my chances. I'm not going to come off of that, but... The offensive line just does pose some problems. In that, though, Chris Godwin, talk about receivers, 12 targets, led the way, six catches, 95 yards. He's now had two weeks in a row where he's gotten peppered. The volume's there. He's got a safe floor. We haven't seen the big game out of him, but the safe floor is, of course, there. And while Mike Evans disappoints, we're playing Mike Evans. The guy, though, who's been uber consistent no matter what, Leonard Fournette. And if you have been worried about Rashad White, and even though you shouldn't be, and I've said the last two weeks you shouldn't be, but this game even more so, Leonard Fournette 21 carries to Rashad White's four, and he tacks on six targets to White's four, and was much more efficient, six catches, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Leonard Fournette just continuing to be the RB1. It's not flashy, it's not pretty, but just continues to be the RB1 that you need him to be. On the sealer side of the ball, Kenny Pickett, he gets hurt. Concussion. Yeah, that was rough. I get it. And now, you know, what we've seen is that Chris Olave is the prime example right now. Chris Olave practiced last week, practiced in full on Friday, was reportedly ahead in the stages, should have played. And all of a sudden, Saturday night, we get the information that, well, Chris Olave is likely not to play because of concussion. Right now, with the new rules going on in the NFL, we have to assume that any player who gets knocked out of a game with a concussion injury is going to miss the following week. That's what we have to assume, unfortunately. That's the reality we're living in. So Kenny Pickett goes down with a concussion, likely. We're going to see Mr. Trubisky next week. That would be the betting favorite. Which brings us back to the wide receivers. So Chase Claypool actually had a nice game in this one. But all that did to me was prove the point of we don't care about Claypool. George Pickens goes back down to being irrelevant if Trubisky's the quarterback. And Deontay Johnson will get targets but produce very little, if anything at all. He had seven targets for five catches, 28 yards. No touchdowns. There's just not much of a ceiling with the Steelers offense. Najee Harris, if you had to continue to play him, you were rewarded with a receiving touchdown in this game but continues to get three yards carry on 14 of them. For 42 yards. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't get better for the Steelers moving forward. They got one of the toughest schedules. If you have Najee Harris, I don't know if this game qualifies as a sell high opportunity, but he got in the end zone, and I probably would try to at least test the waters if that's at all a possibility. Cause I'd want to get out of that as much as I could. I want to get out of the Steelers in general. Even with Kenny Pickett there, I do have some interest in George Pickens, and I do think Deontay Johnson could reestablish floor at some point. But I have no hope for Najee Harris turning this thing around. It just doesn't get involved in the passing attack enough, no matter who the quarterback is. And there's still an overall limit in the ceiling to any of these guys whatsoever. Let's move to our next matchup. We got the Cincinnati Bengals, New Orleans Saints. I talked about Joe Burrow already. He's one of our quarterback thumpers of the week. Going back home in New Orleans and letting it up. Good for him. Joe Burrow is a guy who's consistently a top 10 quarterback. I doubt unless you have, you know, somebody, another top 10 quarterback with a better matchup that you're going to be benching Joe Burrow no matter what moving forward. T. Higgins played. He had 10 targets, 6 catches, 47 yards. He wasn't 100%, and yet he was still greatly involved, which was good to see after last week, but still not getting the fancy performance that you wanted. That's okay. I pointed out already that Hayden Hurst, though, if Higgins is active, you can't be overly excited about Hayden Hurst. If you're playing him, it's because you have no other option. Because he does have a certain floor, a certain point, as tight end streamers go. But the ceiling isn't there if Higgins is still active. Because there's just not enough to go around, unfortunately, when we get to that point. Chase, of course, we talked about him too, and he got going. Joe Mixon, I'll just mention him. He had kind of a mediocre day, but he gets a touchdown, so you're good there, too. So it's really not much changing for the Cincinnati Bengals moving forward. We go to the Saints side of the ball. We have some interesting rumors heading into this game that maybe Andy Dalton, if he played well, and he didn't play well in this game, but there was rumors of if he played well, he might actually get an opportunity to hold on to the starting job. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on with Winston. I don't know if they just don't know if he's ever going to be fully healthy, and therefore... Even when he's able to be active, they'll still just turn it to Andy Dalton because they just trust him to be more healthy and therefore more effective. But it sounds like we got a real con- quarterback controversy going on right now in New Orleans. And like again, while I said this would not qualify as a played well game for Andy Dalton, they got a short week coming up on Thursday. I'd be a little bit surprised if we saw Jameis Winston all of a sudden. So I think Dalton starts again, gets another opportunity if he plays well against the Cardinals. We might see that. Now, what does that mean rest of season, though, for everybody else? I'll, I'll keep on this. Dalton is the best case scenario for Alvin Kamara. Now, I know this week, you know, no receivers were active. Thomas, Landry, Olave, real shame. We'll see who's able to go next week. I think Olave will definitely be back. I don't know about Thomas Landry, but I do think Olave is going to be back for that Thursday night game. In their absence and with Andy Dalton as the quarterback, though, last two weeks, Alvin Kamara back to being involved in the receiving game Nine targets, six catches, only 25 yards, nothing special, but that's all you want. You draft a Kamara to be a PPR monster. Great. Cool. I know he's got some off the field stuff going on right now, but as long as his actual charges with that have to do with federal and potential prison time, which I don't think he'll get, but we'll see what happens. As long as that part gets continued to be delayed, he won't get suspended by the NFL. The lawsuit won't have any bearing, I believe, on Kamara getting suspended because they're going to wait more so for what's going on on the legal, federal side of it, not the lawsuit side of it. So, kind of keep that in mind, too. But Dalton is best for Alvin Kamara. And he's fine for Chris Olave. Are the deep shots there? Maybe not as much, maybe not as frequently, but Olave's established himself at this point, I believe. Even when Michael Thomas comes back, he'll be the number one wide receiver. So, He'll still have a value, maybe just not as much upside, let's say. And I talked about Taysom Hill already. If he doesn't score, you don't know what to expect. Plain and simple. Let's move on, though. Let's talk about the Patriots, and let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. So Ramondre Stevenson dominates without, without Damien Harris. And the Patriots didn't try to get cute. They didn't try to rotate Pierre Strong or Kevin Harris and just make this a committee because that's what the Patriot way is. No, they let Ramondre Stevenson let Rip and be the number one back. Not only did it help them win the game, but he gets two touchdowns on the ground, gets involved in the passing game. I talked about this with Chris on on Thursday. I said, look, if he performs really, really well, is there a chance we see Ramondre Stevenson just lead the way? I don't know if that's going to be true or not, but if he keeps having games like this, I think it's going to be hard to start Damian Harris over Ramondre Stevenson, especially because he is more talented. He has more big playability, and he's a better player in the passing game. Damien Harris will still be involved. This will still be going back to being a two-way committee. There's no doubt about that. But maybe Stevenson keeps having games like this; he'll be the lead of that two-way committee. That's what we're looking to see, one way or another. Bailey Zappy, I got to give my you know I got to give a shout out to him. 300 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> he had a great game. He spread all around. Hunter Henry got involved. Devontae Parker got involved. Jacoby Myers got involved, which I warned you guys last week. He's a wide receiver 3 PPR guy who has a high floor and nothing more. That's who he is. I'm still not really excited about the pass-catching options until Mac Jones returns. On the Cleveland side of the ball, finally we found a team that could hold Nick Chubb in check, and he was still efficient on this game, but because of the game script and the Patriots blowing this game wide open in the second half the way they, they did, They couldn't just stick with Nick Chubb on the ground, so he only winds up with 12 carries, even though it's an efficient 4.7 yards, getting 56 yards total on the ground. We already talked about Kareem Hunt and his woes. But Amari Cooper, again, 12 targets, only 44 yards, but he does get the touchdown on four receptions. Amari Cooper is a guy you continue to play as a wide receiver too, and I'm not moving him outside my top 24 anytime soon. The last note, I guess, would be David Njoku. Six targets, three catches, 58 yards. He would have been my third bummer, but I felt like that wasn't a performance amongst tight ends especially that warranted being a bummer. It was just a floor game. Eight points, PPR. That's a floor for a tight end. You're not mad about that. It didn't win you the game. It didn't lose you the game either at that position. So there's not much more to take out of that other than you continue to play him. So let's move on to the Jaguars Colts matchup. Always an interesting matchup. Colts always supposed to win and never do. This time they do. 34 to 27. And on the Colts side of things, notes I have, of course, we talked about Deion Jackson dominating Philip Lindsay. So now we know how that backfield breaks down when Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines do not play. Pittman got back on track to being the volume monster he's supposed to be with 16 targets, 13 receptions, and 134 yards. That's the type of stat lines that we want to see out of Michael Pittman. I would love the touchdown, too, but give me the double-digit receptions with the over 100 receiving yards, and you won't hear a complaint out of me at all. The one interesting note I do have for the Colts, moving forward still, is that while we all love Alec Pierce, and he got the touchdown here in this game, too, he still didn't play more than Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell was still the second most receiver and playing time with snaps Alec Pierce was still number three I don't know why and Paris Campbell actually wound up having a decent game in this one his first one all year and I don't think it necessarily holds up all season either I do think Alec Pierce overtakes him at some point but for now while he had a touchdown this game maybe you're selling high on Alec Pierce he was a popular pickup last week he gets the touchdown this week And he's a rookie, so everybody has their mind, well, rookies have untapped potential. Maybe you're selling high on him based on that. Because really, in reality, right now at least, he's still not even the second receiver to Michael Pittman, with the snap count usage steadily not in his favor. Again, don't have an explanation for it, but that's just the facts of what it is. On the Jaguar side of the ball, if you did stream Trevor Lawrence, well, he came through for you with two quarterback sneaks for touchdowns, for rushing touchdowns, and he also tacked on a passing touchdown, too, and he didn't turn the ball over. So he he wound up having an okay game, even though only 165 yards through the air, 20 of 22, though. A lot of checkdowns out of the Jaguars this week, playing it safe, not a lot of deep shots, and that really limited the wide receivers, too. I mean, Christian Kirk, he saves his day with a touchdown, but only five targets, four catches, 24 yards. I'm not sure what the explanation is here. Ultimately, they had a solid game, I guess you could say, because they put up 27 points and they took this game down to the wire and took a comeback by the Colts to win. But if they're not going to take shots, now I'll get less excited about Christian Kirk. I wasn't less excited about him last week. I was like, all right, look, sometimes these things just happen. And I still think Christian Kirk is definitely a wide receiver too and belongs in your lineups and will still be the guy they need to feature in this team. But if he's going to have the deep ball taken off the table and they're going to play this thinking dunk style moving forward, well, then, then now I have some concern. Because now if he doesn't score to save his day like he did today, now we're talking about consistent low floors as being a real potential. It's three weeks in a row now where really it, it wasn't pretty out of Christian Kirk. So still a wide receiver, two for me heading into next week. But I do have some concerns if this kind of usage continues. And my last note, Travis Etienne, does play for the third week in a row. Two more snaps than James Robinson. Robinson more involved in the box score here. He had 12 carries and 54 yards. But at the end, once again, pretty efficient with his touches. And I just think moving forward, this is a 50-50 committee. The Jaguars ultimately in a a neutral to negative game script for the most part in this game. I just think we have a 50-50 committee on our hands which means, yes, the James Robinson value we had earlier in the season that comes back down, and the Travis Etienne value from earlier in the season that comes up, and ultimately they wound up meeting in the middle, making them both RB3 flex plays. <laughs> like, Still not excited about it, but now they both have bigger floors, I guess you could say, than what they had previously To moving forward. Now we get into some of the 4 o'clock games, so the Rams and the Carolina Panthers. Talk about the Rams doing enough to win, but they don't get right. Matthew Stafford doesn't get right in this game. They still look lost. They still have a terrible offensive line. The Carolina defense gave them fits throughout the day. And just because they had to be on the field so much, wore out in the second half. And that's ultimately what led to the Rams being, being able to pull away towards the end. But if you have trouble against this Carolina defense right now, because your offensive line's that bad, and you still can't quite get right at home in this matchup, I don't know when or if the Rams are going to be able to get right this season. Unless something drastic changes in that offensive line where, you know, Chris and I talked about there's some rumors that they're trying to get Andrew Whitworth to come out of retirement. That's your only hope. If that does not happen or you don't find a way to get this offensive line to play better, you're playing Cooper Cup. You're not playing anybody else. Henderson does lead the backfield with no Cam Akers, and we know the fiasco going on right now with Akers actively trying to be traded. They're in a bye week this week. There's a good chance maybe they, if they move him, it would be as soon as this week. But basically, everybody's saying Cam Akers just played his last snap for the Los Angeles Rams. We don't have the exact details of what happened other than clearly he had some kind of altercation with Sean McVay, and I heard maybe you know the GM staff might have been involved in that, some of the positional coaches as well, whether it was a problem he had with the game plan or not. Whatever the case may have been, Cam Akers did something to piss off the front office and the coaching staff the Rams so bad that they're like, you will never play for us again, and we will get rid of you, trade or cut or whatever the case may be. So people are asking me, like, well, I just dropped Cam Akers, right? I'm not saying you can't, depending upon your situation. But I would say this, for a guy who is reportedly going to be on the move in the imminent future... Cam makers are still somebody who has talent. This offensive line's really bad. I don't pin a lot of the inefficiencies that he's had on this offensive line. Just look at this game against the Carolina Panthers. Darrell Henderson came in. We've had less questions about him. He, we, he's not coming off an Achilles injury where we don't know what his explosiveness actually is. And he still only had 3.6 yards to carry in this game. So clearly it's an offensive line issue, not necessarily a running back issue. So if Cam Akers winds up in a situation that's intriguing and better than what he is with the Rams right now, we could be talking about Cam Akers having fantasy value. So I wouldn't drop him just yet. I'd like to know exactly where he winds up first before making a decision on him one way or another moving forward. In the meantime, yes, Henderson led the way, but Malcolm Brown still got involved. Seven carries, at so Henderson's 12. And if Henderson doesn't score that touchdown, he's still pretty you know, weak. As far as his fantasy value, too, I think he'll, I'll have him about where I had Cam Akers for the last few weeks, which is a mid-level RB3 who doesn't have a particularly high ceiling, nor does he have a particularly high floor, but he's a starting running back in the NFL, and if the right matchup strikes, you have to think about. It. So, we, basically, Darrell Henderson should be rostered, I don't know how many times you're going to be playing him, and that's just, that's just where we are, unfortunately. Cooper Cup had one of his weaker games of the year, and then sold a seven-catch, 80-yard performance. Allen Robinson did show some life. I do want to give him a quick shout-out. Five catches, 63 yards, picks up the touchdown on six targets. And unfortunately, to this point, that's been his ceiling game of the year. And that's why I don't have much confidence in going to him moving forward either. So if he's been out there in your waiver wire, let someone else make that mistake. Let someone else pick him up, because you're not going to want him. Let's move on to the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. We'll go to the Cardinal side of the ball first. Kyler gets it done on the ground. He does get 100 yards rushing. So from a fantasy standpoint, you were fine. You got your 100 yards rushing. Everything else after that is kind of just cherry on top. No, it's not the big ceiling game you'd hope for against a, what should have been a really smash matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. Kyler Murray's just playing bad football right now as a passing quarterback, period. There's no, there's no other way to say it. He's playing bad quarterback. And maybe, and you're hoping, this improves when DeAndre Hopkins returns. That's it. That's your hope. You're pinning your hopes that Kyler Murray can be a top five quarterback when DeAndre Hopkins returns. And maybe that works out, maybe it doesn't. But that's where you are right now. Otherwise, Kyler Murray moving forward is a top 10 quarterback with a ceiling of no more than like QB7 most games. Is that what you draft him to be? No, it's not. Is it still serviceable enough? Especially when you look at the rest of the quarterback territory? Yeah, it is. You're not going to win matchups because of Kyler Murray, but you might not lose them either. That's where we're at in Kyler Murray. Period. You know, Benjamin filling in for James Conner, Darrell Williams being out was incredibly mediocre against a really bad Seattle team. 2.5 yards a carry on 15 carries and got 37 yards. And then even the passing game, they didn't involve him as much as I thought they would. Three targets, three receptions, 28 yards. We'll see exactly when James Conner comes back to Williams gets back, but Eno Benjamin pretty much showing you he is what I always thought he was, which is he's a backup who can do a little bit of everything. So he has value as a backup, but he's not a guy who's going to give you big performances when given the opportunity to do so. He's not explosive. Period. That's what it boils down to. And his offensive line, the Cardinals, doesn't do him any favors either. Zach Ertz had the solid game, not big game, but solid game that you would come to expect against playing against Seattle. And then the last note, of course, is that Hollywood got injured. So he was seen in a walking boot. The early x-rays were reported as being negative. So that's good news. We'll get more tests during Monday. So I know you guys watch this show on Monday. I recorded the show on Sunday nights, but you watch the show on Monday night. Follow me on social media at Billy of MDFF show. We'll keep you up to date. We'll probably have more news at that point. I do want to go back, circle back to Zach Ertz real quick though. Cause the other note I have is that when Deandre Hopkins comes back, I am definitely concerned about the volume that Zach Ertz might get. So the only thing giving him a floor is the volume. He's not a big play guy. He doesn't get in the end zone very consistently And when DeAndre Hopkins played last year, Zach Ertz seemingly disappeared. Now, they didn't play a lot of games together last year, though. So it's a very, very small sample size and too small to make any permanent, you know, long-term assumptions off of. But definitely a concern of mine. When Hopkins comes back and Hollywood Brown's out there and Rondo Moore is healthy, I don't know exactly what that means for the volume of Zach Ertz. So his value very much could be going down. He's another guy who I'd be trying to sell high on for someone, maybe like a George Kittle type, maybe Dallas Goddard, maybe a Tyler Higbee, because Tyler Higbee had a bad game this week. So something along those lines is probably what I'd be trying to look for with Zach Ertz. On the Seattle side of the ball, Kenneth Walker, that was the big news leading into the game. He's going to be the number one back lean forward. And he was great. 21 carries, 97 yards, picked up a touchdown, and even had more targets than DJ Dallas. He had three. DJ Dallas, guess what? He had zero. He had zero. And Kevin Walker had two catches for 13 yards. He's the number one back. He's a lead back. He looks like the real deal. You got a guy who's a high-end RB2 and might even have low-end RB1 potential the rest of the season. He's everything you basically wanted him to be. The passing attack for the Seattle Seahawks was held in check in this game. Geno Smith, 20 of 31, only 197 yards. Didn't turn it over, but didn't get a touchdown either. Tacked on 48 yards on the ground. So if you were streaming him, at least he gave you something from that standpoint. But you didn't get performances out of DK Metcalf. You didn't get performances out of Tyler Lockett, who was one of our wide receiver bummers. I think better days are still ahead for these guys. The big thing I take out of this moving forward is that when you play against the Arizona Cardinals, you might have to start limiting some of your expectations because since their secondary has gotten healthier, they have been able to limit some pretty good passing attacks, some especially perimeter wide receivers up until this point. And our last but not least game, the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs. We talked about Josh Allen going off. We talked about Stephon Diggs going off. Devin Singletary finally making me look good. 17 carries, 85 yards, four catches, 22 yards on five targets. No, he doesn't score here, but he does get over a hundred yards from scrimmage and continues to dominate the backfield. Devin Singletary is an RB2 moving forward. And then the other thing is that Gabe Davis continues his six target streak. That's, no less, no more, but he gets a touchdown on 74 yards, and that's part of the charm of Gabe Davis is that, look, he's not going to be a volume monster like a Stephon Diggs is. It's not his game. It's not his role in his offense, but what he is is a guy who hits the big play and gets touchdowns and gets you the fantasy points that you're looking for. So high efficiency continues to be for him, and as long as he's healthy, you got to keep playing him in your lives with that kind of upside. On the Chiefs side of things, Oh, and one more thing for the Buffalo Bills, sorry. Dawson Knox, he gets a touchdown here. Still only had three targets and three catches. Dawson Knox will still be probably outside my top 18 tight ends more weeks than that. I'm not buying into him. On the Kansas City side, look, Schuster had a big game. Five catches, 113 yards, a touchdown, five targets. What was super shocking about this game is how good he was after the catch. Something you don't typically see Schuster be made a really big, his one touchdown was a really big play. He made another big play later on this game where tacklers seemingly just bounced off of him and just didn't, they look like they were going for the ball for the strip instead of actually making the tackle. Something that drives me crazy with corners. And when you do that, you can get burned sometimes. And that's what happened. The only thing that kind of made me bummed about this is that Schuster's value. It doesn't increase because of a game like this, because we know this is more of an aberration than the norm. But what it did do was delay the emergence of sky Moore yet again. And that's, that's that was more my problem than anything else. I'm still holding. If I can stash guy more, I'm still trying to do so. But Schuster having a big game here against Buffalo just does kind of delay what could have been. Unfortunately, uh, anything else to Kansas City side? We talked about Ceh, his minimal usage, and what happens when he's not uber efficient on his minimal usage, especially in a tough match against the Buffalo Bills. And then I guess on the last note would be you know Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. I don't care who they're playing against. This is probably one of the worst matchups they could have had on paper heading into the week, and they still performed at a big rate. So you love them, and you're not concerned about that at all. That does it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow night with the primetime recap and the Heroes and Zeros and the Waiver Saviors heading into week seven. So make sure you guys tune in at 10 p.m. Eastern. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, so that way you catch all of our content as it becomes available to you. You can also check us out on the on-demand app of Foxy Network and look at the Belly of Sports TV category on your Roku, LG, Samsung, or Amazon Fire TV devices. Please download us on your favorite podcast app and stay up to date with the show while you're on the go and give us a five-star review because that really, really helps us out. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and I will see you guys tomorrow night. <laughs>